Behold Jesus, the Deliverer, the one who frees his people from sin and everything that would hinder us from enjoying the joy of his salvation. Let us pray. God, our Father, today remind us of the Lamb, your Lamb, the Lord Jesus, who came to set us free. Cause us, Father, to behold him, to embrace him by faith, to rest under his blood. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn to John chapter 1, we'll read verses 29 through 34. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for the purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We were given a little stuffed, cute, white, fluffy, cuddly lamb for our grandchildren to play with when they came over uh, to visit with us. And it is a cuddly, cute, little stuffed animal that you would expect. But something unexpected about this little lamb is that when you press the button on its tummy, you hear a song. A song is played and the lyrics are sung by a children's choir. What is unexpected is actually the hymn that is sung. A hymn that reminds us of all that the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world is is all about. It is a hymn that reflects the reality of the work of the Lord Jesus on our behalf. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear when I first believed. In the fullness of time, at a specific point in human history, the precious grace of God did appear. That grace was indeed a sweet sound to sinners who are desperate for freedom from being bound to sin and everything else that might hinder one from experiencing the joy of his salvation. That grace 
came to save wretches like you and me, like John the Baptist, all those before him, all those of his generation, and all those after his generation, indeed sinners throughout all of human history. That precious grace appeared at that moment in time, and John the Baptist had the privilege to declare, behold, that man who is coming toward me and coming towards you, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, amazing grace that saves sinners in bondage to sin and frees them not only from captivity to sin, but frees them from everything. Do you believe everything? that would hinder a person from experiencing the joy of his salvation. Behold the Lamb. And let me ask a question to you today, as well as to me. Are we beholding the Lamb every day, not just this day? This precious grace. So as we continue this year's Advent series, The Lamb of God, today we consider John the Baptist's identification of Jesus as the Lamb of God. And as we work through this passage, we want to look at three things. First of all, the type of the Lamb. Secondly, the witness to the Lamb. And then thirdly, the identification of the lamb. First, the type of the lamb. So our passage must be read with the Old Testament reality of Passover in the background. When John said, behold the lamb of God, our mind should immediately go back to Exodus chapter 12 in the book of Leviticus that enfolds for us a type of Christ, a type of the Lamb. Many of you may remember that in Easter, now this is Christmas season, but I'll refer to Easter. In Easter weeks past, we have observed a Christianized version of the Jewish Seder, celebration of the Feast of Passover in modern times. And as we gather for this Christianized version of the Seder that we typically would do on Monday, Thursday of, of Easter week, one of the lessons that is powerfully communicated, really hard to miss, is the fact that that Passover lamb that was slaughtered by those fathers and that blood applied to the doorpost, the lentils of the home, that that Passover lamb pointed to the lamb that John beheld that is the theme of Scripture, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That Passover lamb is a type, that Passover lamb pointed to Jesus. And we had the privilege to learn that lesson in a very powerful way as we process through this 
Christianized version of the Seder meal a number of Monday Thursday ago. We must have that type of Christ fixed in our man to understand the significance of John's proclamation, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You should be asking, even if you know the answer, John's proclamation begs, how does the Lamb take away the sin of the world? And the Passover meal depicts how the Lamb takes away the sin of the world. Jason read the account from Exodus 12. It's also recorded in Leviticus and other passages of Scripture. The Lord designated that month the month that he would bring Israel out of bondage to Egypt as the first month before the the exile from Babylon, the pre-exilic time, that month was called Abib. After the exile, the month is called Nisan. It's our March and April. And on the 10th day of that month, God instructed his people to go and acquire a one-year-old male lamb from the sheep and from the goats and keep it until the 14th day. Smaller households maybe couldn't afford a lamb. They would join a larger household and be included in their observance, be included literally in their house. And then on the 14th day, the whole assembly was to kill those little lambs And they were to take some of the blood and to apply it to the doorposts and the lintels of their home. And then all were to go inside. All the families were to go inside. They were to roast the meat. They were to prepare herbs and unleavened bread. They were to fasten their belts tightly. They were to have their sandals on. They were to have their staffs in their hands. They were to eat the Lord's Passover. The scriptures tell us, in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. And then as the family there was literally under the blood, God brought judgment upon all of Egypt. And where there was not a home, where there was blood applied, the firstborn were killed, were taken, died. But those who were under the blood were safe, secure. They were redeemed. They were freed from God's judgment and wrath. Moses recounted these words. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments I am the Lord, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, when I see the blood, don't miss that. God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Under the Lamb's blood, 
Israel was safe, secure, preserved from judgment that was rightly deserved. When we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Paul picks up this theme from Exodus. And he tells us that indeed that Passover lamb is a type of Christ. It points to the Lamb of God, Christ, that will come. For Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For, he says, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So when John the Baptist saw Jesus, Jesus and pronounced, behold, the Lamb of God, he was identifying Jesus as the fulfillment of all that that Passover meal and that Passover lamb promised. Deliverance, redemption, safe from judgment. The Passover encourages God's people that for those who are under the blood, God frees you from bondage to sin. God releases you from captivity to anything that would hinder you from experiencing the joy of his salvation. The Passover lamb was a type of Christ. The Passover lamb points to the lamb of God whose once for all sacrifice has taken away sin and freed God's people. Secondly, John the Baptist made the pronouncement about Jesus, but why John the Baptist? What was his mission? The prophet John was given a unique role to bear witness to the Lamb of God, the one in whom all that was promised in that Passover is fulfilled. I have served on two juries, one in New England while I was in seminary and one here in Little Rock. And one of the tasks of serving on a jury, a jury at least as I understood it, is or at least what I experienced was I had to evaluate the trustworthiness of the witnesses for both the prosecution and the defense. But unlike my experience on a jury in New England and also here in Little Rock, where I had to evaluate if indeed that witness is trustworthy, and of course we need to realize that human witnesses are fallible, they're imperfect, they're apt to be untrustworthy. But John is a witness, and John's testimony is absolutely trustworthy. And the chief reason of which is that John's testimony is part of God's authoritative, inerrant, infallible, inspired word. We can trust it. And when John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we can trust that testimony. We can trust the fact, as we'll see in just a bit, that when he baptized Jesus and saw the Holy Spirit come down upon Jesus and heard the Father approve of the Son, that these were signs that proved to John the Baptist that indeed Jesus was who he says he was, Messiah. We can trust John's testimony, his witness, 
He's a trustworthy witness. So who is John? This is the question that the priests and the Levites asked John the Baptist. In, in John 1 and verse 23, they were sent from Jerusalem to John the Baptist, who was baptizing in Bethany. And they were sent to inquire as to John's identity. And John answered the priests and the Levites in verse 23 of John 1 by not identifying himself specifically, but identifying the fact that his mission was to identify another. In fact, John says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Here's a quote from Isaiah 40 in verse 3. So John the Baptist's first public appearance was around 26 A.D., according to scholars. Mark's gospel, Mark's one, Mark 1, verses 1 through 8, tells us that John was a messenger from God. And then I'll just read portions of that section of Mark. John was, a mess, John was sent from God to prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and tie. I have baptized ye with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's Mark's gospel account. And so John's mission was to prepare for the coming of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who John says, he who is mightier than I. His mission, John's mission centered around preparing and, it's, and his preparation centered around this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now we must not mistakenly correlate John's baptism with Christian baptisms. The baptisms that we administer here, they're different. John's baptism was preparatory in nature. He was baptizing across the Jordan in a little village of Bethany, not the Bethany Lazarus' home near Jerusalem, but the Bethany on the east side of the Jordan River. And John was baptizing there, and the people came and submitted him, themselves to his baptism, this baptism of repentance, this baptism by water. And in doing so, they were demonstrating an attitude of, report, of repentance from sin. They were saying, I need to repent. They were saying, I need to be forgiven. They were saying, I am preparing myself for the one to come who will forgive, who can forgive, whose blood is efficacious that results in my sin being taken away. John was preparing them, preparing their hearts to truly repent and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven. It was a baptism, or it was a baptism of repentance, demonstrating a need to be forgiven. And before we leave John's role as this expert witness, God had called him to that. He is 
called the last prophet, the greatest prophet, because in the Old Testament prophetical line, he is the closest to Jesus, and thus he's the greatest. But even John said in verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now what is meant? Obviously John knew Jesus. John's mother and Jesus' mothers were relatives. They were born in relatively close proximity to one another. Read about this in Luke 1 and verse 36. What John likely means here is that he did not know of Jesus' identity as Messiah until some days earlier, John had baptized Jesus and he saw the signs, the signs that are mentioned in verses 31 and 34 of John 1, the signs that prove indeed that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Jesus is Messiah. The Passover Lamb is a type of Christ. And when John said, Behold the Lamb, that type was well fixed in John's mind, as it should be in ours. There comes the fulfillment of what God gave Israel in the Passover meal. John's role was to point to Jesus and to testify as an expert witness sitting before a jury that indeed, behold, this is the Lamb of God. He is the one whose blood was shed and under whose blood results in freedom from bondage to sin and anything else that would hinder us from experiencing the joy of his salvation. And now we come to the identification of the Lamb. Third, John the Baptist fulfilled his mission, and he identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. Earlier, Jesus had submitted himself uh, to John's baptism, and that was part of Jesus identifying with sinful humanity, part, part of Uh, Jesus being 100% man, having a human nature, as well as being 100% God. At the baptism, John witnessed the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. He also witnessed the fact that the Father approved of the Son. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. John witnessed these irrefutable signs that identified Jesus as the Lamb of God, Messiah, And when John saw Jesus coming that next day, that day the priests and Levites came to question John about his identity, Jesus said, it's not my identity I'm concerned about. It's the fact that I've been called to identify that man who is coming. It is that man who is the Lamb of God. He is the one who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one under whose blood you're free. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a pronouncement John gives. The work of the Lamb in taking away the sin of the world demands the Lamb's blood be shed. 
it implies that every human being that has ever lived or will live are dead in their sins and trespasses, are subject to God's wrath, and are under his judgment. We're under something, brothers and sisters. We're either under the blood or we're under judgment. And which are you today? It's as simple as that. You either have, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By God's grace, you are under his blood and free from judgment. Or you are not under his blood and you're under judgment. Which is it? This text begs an answer from you and from me. And it begs an answer today. To return to the motif of the Passover in Exodus 12, justice would demand that all people, the world, would suffer the judgment the Egyptians suffered by that death angel. But that blood was applied to the doorpost and the lentils. It was not the father of the household's blood. It was not the mother's of the household's blood. It was not the children's of the household's blood. It was not anybody's blood that was in the household. It was the blood of another. It was the blood of a substitute. It was the blood of the lamb that was applied. And the blood of Jesus that takes away the sin of the world is, is not to be understood as a universal atonement. Not all the world was in the homes under the blood, even in Exodus 12. It was the people of God. And so this text is not indicating a universal atonement that all are saved. But the scriptures clearly teach throughout that all those from the world, from every tongue and tribe, who are sovereignly elected by God will be delivered by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. The letter to the Hebrews tells us that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Deliverance is secured for sinners like you and me for one reason and one reason only. Another's blood has been applied to us. Do you get it? The lamb substituted his blood for my blood. The lamb substituted his life for my life. The lamb bled for my pardon. The lamb bled that God's wrath would not come upon me. The lamb's blood satisfied God's justice on my behalf. Under the blood, I am free from bondage to sin. Under the blood, I am free from suffering the judgment that I rightly deserve. Under the blood, I find liberation from anything and everything that might threaten to hinder my joy in his salvation. And the same is true for you. Derek and I have commented, maybe even somewhat joked, that this Advent series should be an Advent series on substitution. 
we began looking at Isaac's substitute, that ram that really is a promise of the substitute, the Lord Jesus, to come who would secure redemption in the place of sinners. Last week, Derek considered Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, the fourth servant song passage. And there, the suffering servant, beautiful picture of Jesus. He suffers in our place. And today, it's not our blood that secures our redemption. It is the blood of the Lamb. The only thing our blood will secure is wrath. But His blood secures deliverance for God's people. That cute little lamb that my grandkids love to play with and they repeatedly push that little button and I've heard Amazing Grace more in the last little bit than I probably will hear anywhere else in a lifetime. But the way I figure it, if I have to hear any song repeatedly, Amazing Grace is a really good one. But as cute as that little lamb is, as cuddly, and as profound as the words that emanate from that little lamb are, the the words of amazing grace, there is a great contradiction there. There's a contradiction between that little fluffy toy, and, and hey, listen, it's a little fluffy lamb that plays amazing grace. It's a great little toy. Nothing wrong with that. But it's inconsistent with the reality. What we're talking about is not a sweet, little, fluffy, cute lamb that we can cuddle. What we're talking about is the lamb that Marsha Elliott painted, a beautiful watercolor. Well, beautiful might be an inappropriate word in a sense because it really is a shocking watercolor painting. It is the head of a lamb, and you can tell this is a perfect, spotless lamb, but a crown of thorns is crushed down on the head of that lamb, and literally flowing down that lamb's face are pools of blood. When John said, Behold the Lamb of God, when we hear the words amazing grace, when we contemplate what Jesus has done for you and me, when we think about Jesus being the fulfillment of all that was promised in the Passover in Exodus 12 in Leviticus and in other parts of Scripture, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, it is not a cute, fluffy, little, white lamb that plays amazing grace. It is Marsha Elliott's painting of the lamb. A blood-soaked king who came to shed his blood under which his people rest safely and securely, free from bondage to sin, 
and free from anything else that would rob them of having the joy, the experience of his salvation. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is a blood-soaked king who saved his people and delivered them. Dear friends today, do not let this moment pass by without answering the question, have I beheld the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Am I under judgment or am I under his blood that has delivered me from bondage to sin and anything else that would hinder my experiencing the joy of his salvation. Embrace the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by faith today and in the days to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God. We want to think of a cute little cuddly lamb, but that's not Jesus. His work demanded, his goal to deliver his people demanded a crown of thorns and shedding of blood as he took our place on the cross. Remind us, O oh God, of who he is, what he came to do, and may we ever behold him by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.